In episode 19 of the Well-Led Schools podcast, I'll be diving into the importance of creating a supportive and mentally healthy workplace, along, of course, with some practical tips and strategies you can begin implementing right away. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff well-being action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships, a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Well-Led Schools podcast. In today's solo episode, it's just me, I'll be chatting with you about the importance of creating a supportive and mentally healthy workplace and providing you with some really helpful strategies to begin creating a transformative shift in your school's culture. Now, we all know that teaching is regarded as one of the most stressful professions in Australia. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has really only amplified these feelings for staff, with many schools still really feeling the brunt or the effects of periods of home learning that we experienced, isolation orders, and of course, increased worry in the world. With as many as 75% of teachers and school staff reporting impacted mental health, it really should be considered part of the school leader's core responsibility to cultivate a supportive workplace environment that is aimed at both preventing and preserving staff mental health and well-being. The future of our profession really depends on it. This information indicates that regular validation and acknowledgement of the challenges that we experience in schools may prove valuable for staff. Discussing and seeking support for mental health really shouldn't be taboo, especially not in an occupation like ours where so many are impacted by it. Now, when it comes to thinking about creating a mentally healthy workplace, we really have to consider all of the different factors and elements here. So, of course, we have high rates of stress, but we also have things like burnout. And then there's other implications like having a mental health challenge, such as anxiety or depression. But I do just want to spend some time talking about burnout because it really is a growing problem in schools and, in fact, workplaces worldwide. 
Traditionally, burnout was defined as a state of emotional and physical exhaustion caused by prolonged feelings of stress and frustration. However, more recently, the World Health Organization has characterized burnout as a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed, labeling it as an occupational phenomenon. Now, this description is particularly important as it emphasizes the responsibility that the workplace and indeed the leaders has to identify and address workplace stresses for their staff, as well as support and encourage staff to effectively manage their own health and well-being. Now, burnout can cause a slew of physical and mental symptoms that impact staff's ability to bring their best selves to work take on new ideas and participate in any change strategies. Since many, as we just heard of the cases of burnout, do stem from work, if the cause of stress remain unaddressed, it's likely to build frustration, anger and resentment in the staff in our school. So staff who are burnt out are more likely then, of course, to call in sick to feel less engaged in their work and even collaborate amicably with others. When teachers and staff are stressed and on edge, they often might have less patience in the classroom, they're less able to access their compassion and empathy, and they won't be as in tune with their students' needs. So, of course, this really can be a recipe for disaster, especially when managing students in classrooms. Additionally, something else to consider is that when any of our staff feel burnt out, they're going to be more likely to have negative perceptions of their workplace, which then lowers their job satisfaction and may encourage them to seek work elsewhere. So if we don't do something now, teacher shortages will become a more of a widespread problem and no school leader, of course, wants to add that to their already endless to-deal-with list. So this is where we look to how we can better promote mental health and well-being in schools. Beyond Blue has actually put it beautifully when they said that a mentally healthy workplace is one that protects and promotes mental health and empowers people to seek help for stress, depression, anxiety, and this is for the benefit of the individual organisation and community. So what this tells us is that a responsible workplace really should make every effort to reduce stigma, to build self-awareness in staff, and also encourage help-seeking and support options. So this doesn't mean that all of us as leaders and even staff need to become counsellors. What that's saying is that if we talk about it, promote and encourage it, and then also actively promote help-seeking for our staff, then we are addressing it in a really meaningful way. So when we review our processes, we adapt our leadership and we work with our staff to prevent burnout and mental health challenges that are, of course, work-related. We see a decrease in disruptive behaviour among students, for instance, and a greater general stability in the classroom, as well as increased student motivation and academic commitment. 
Additionally, teachers with lower stress levels and burnout symptoms and classes equipped with high coping skills have also been associated with enriched student outcomes. So we're beginning to see the link here with being able to manage ourselves means that we can support our staff to manage themselves. And then of course, this provides almost like a lock and key for students to be able to engage in their learning. What we're going to discuss in this episode are seven ways that leaders and indeed staff can begin to create conditions and a school culture that emphasizes staff health and well-being. So these are ways that leaders can help to create a supportive and mentally healthy workplace so that they can minimize the impact of the inevitable stress that comes with teaching in this day and age. So tip number one is to improve understanding and awareness of mental health in the workplace. The first step here is really taking away that stigma associated with mental health challenges and to build awareness around the topic itself and normalize discussing mental health in the workplace. The sooner we do this, the more confident staff will be and feel in seeking out support. So in practice, this might first look like actually coming back to self, understanding you, yourself, your well-being and your mental health as a leader. A global understanding of mental health really begins with us as leaders being aware of their own signs of stress and distress. And this self-awareness can, of course, assist you in recognizing it in others. Another helpful tip here is around reviewing your school's collected data to quantify just how many of your staff are actually reporting high levels of stress, impacted mental health and experiences with burnout. So this is something that I do with schools as part of the Well-Led Schools Partnership Program, but also just work with schools on their own to conduct an anonymous staff wellbeing survey and then review this and, of course, share that data with staff. But we need to recognize that the higher the number is of our staff who are struggling or who are suffering, the more likely it's going to be that you're going to need to talk about it. It's going to be the frequency of those conversations, the assumptions that we make, and then how often that we encourage and promote mental health and well-being in our workplace specifically. So I work with a range of schools who have you know, staff stress being quite low and burnout rates of around 25% of their staff, right through to 75% of staff in a school reporting high stress and burnout um, and, and those higher levels of impacted mental health. So knowing your numbers, I talk about this all the time, is really important because that's going to help guide us as to how often we should be really discussing this with our staff. It's also really important to learn to recognize the signs of stress and burnout in our staff and know the difference between stress and mental health conditions such as anxiety. So stress in many ways is inevitable and quite a common experience in life, uh, but when it is potentially unmanaged over time, it can lead to increased incidences of anxiety and depression. It is not the cause of those things, of course, but I know from my experience, my long-term unmanaged stress definitely 
uh, then began to manifest as anxiety for me. So, of course, when I'm less stressed, my anxiety is lower. Uh, so it's important for us to recognize the difference between those, those very varied mental health conditions. We can also look at providing and engaging professional learning opportunities which outline the signs and and symptoms of mental health conditions as well, really importantly, of suicide risk factors. So this is a nod to amazing training like mental health first aid for our staff Uh, and we can do that uh, mental health first aid for us personally also a workplace version but they've also got a really wonderful youth version. So In supporting our staff with student mental health, they also in many ways learn about themselves and others that they're working with. And of course, this all aims to reduce the stigma. So this can look like arranging for someone to share their personal experience of mental health and their recovery. So it could be somebody like a Beyond Blue ambassador, or you may have an employee or leader or a member of staff who's willing to speak openly and share their story. So I consistently share my story with the schools that I'm working with throughout all of my wellbeing presentations, all in the attempts to actively role model and reduce the stigma, open up those discussions about mental health. And you wouldn't believe how many people come and catch me at the end of every presentation that I run to also share their story. And they're so relieved that somebody's up there talking about these very major issues. So my next tip for creating a mentally healthy workplace is, of course, to then recognize the stresses. So it's not enough just to recognize that we're all stressed and burnt out and a number of us are experiencing a mental health challenge. We have to consider what the stresses are that trigger these stress behaviors in our staff. So, for example, are staff stresses linked to their personal lives or are they work-related? And we need to speak to staff to find out. In fact, when I'm analysing a staff well-being survey, I will go through and actively add up how many staff actually attribute their stress to external uh, factors aside, alongside those, sorry, who are outlining workplace stresses because it's really important for us to know and acknowledge and recognise that there are things happening external to work And in fact, the more areas of our life and our well-being that we are less satisfied with, the higher the reported rates of uh, burnout. And that was actually outlined in the incredible book, Wellbeing at Work, which is uh, looking at all of the Gallup data from across the world. So to attend to this, you might want to ask staff what factors might be impacting their well-being and mental health by utilising discussions or an anonymous staff well-being survey. And really here, completing a school scan, which is part of, again, my partnership programs and conducting the staff survey, and then having discussions can allow you to uncover what some of those common stresses are for our staff. It's also important to recognise when staff members might be at risk. So when determining if another member of staff may need extra support, you might like to consider things like the pervasiveness, frequency, persistence and severity of their signs of distress. 
So considering this can help inform your actions, which might include speaking with them and assisting them to seek out or manage their work-related or even personal stresses. So this, again, is part of mental health first aid, such a nod to a really incredible personal and professional development course that you can do there. But really reflecting on your staff as, is this quite a quite a frequent occurrence that their behavior might be demonstrating that they're struggling or suffering? Does this appear to just be a one-off or a time in their life? Uh, It's important for us to really reflect on that and we could potentially even do that with another leader. And then you might ask yourself the question, okay, well, when is it actually essential to talk to our staff? Well, straight off the bat, when you're concerned about their mental health and well-being, Uh, even when their work performance or their relationships are being compromised. Maybe you might be concerned that the person is a danger to themselves or others, or particularly if you hear that they're feeling suicidal or planning to end their life. Quite a confronting topic, I know, but it is important for us to be equipped with the skills to be able to have these conversations. And again, this is where a mental health first aid course is particularly powerful here because they have whole modules and sections around how to have conversations with somebody that we are extremely worried about. Tip number three for creating a mentally healthy workplace is to talk about the stress promote and normalize mental health. So since impacted mental health is a common issue in education, leaders really must make an effort to openly discuss mental health challenges and promote support options to their staff. So we can do this by talking openly to staff about stress, burnout and anxiety and reassuring our staff that their privacy will be respected. So this is with our teams, but also with individual staff during our check-ins, any annual discussions, PDPs. Let's make it part of all of our processes alongside the instructional focus. Remember to respect any staff's decision not to speak about their mental health but leave the door open for further discussion would they choose or like to approach you. Pay attention as well to staff who are behaving or talking in ways that's unusual for them. Remember to approach them with sensitivity and respect to inquire about what's happening. And with the Mental Health First Aid course, they do actually outline it's around uh, mentioning what you see as opposed to what you assume is going on. So I noticed that you've been coming in late more often and you appear really tired. Is everything okay, for instance? We can also, as leaders, use meeting times to genuinely, and I'm going to heavily lean on that word, genuinely reiterate the importance of staff well-being and make sure that we follow through with actions that match. So if we truly believe that family comes first and we say that, then we want to be matching that with our actions. So I'm just thinking in particular, this is just an example of some of our staff who have sick children constantly who are like their, their child's always coming out of childcare with something new and they're feeling really guilty because they're constantly taking time off. If we're saying family comes first, then we want to be matching that with actions and reactions if they do have to keep taking that time off to stay home with their child. It's just an example there. 
Tip number four for creating a mentally healthy workplace is to have a stop, reflect and act conversation. So leadership mental health literacy really involves the ability to have a conversation with our staff who are facing a challenging time. And a really good scaffold is the stop, reflect, act prompt. And what this means is that we stop, we make time to ask the person how they're going, and we actually pause and listen. Then we reflect. Remember, it's not your job to offer a diagnosis or counselling, but providing emotional support is about being willing to talk about what's going on, how the person or the group feels and their options for support. So if there are concerns, consider timing, uh, the timing that you have this conversation, the space that you have the conversation in, if there are any relevant work policies that you can apply in in this scenario and refer to first because we might have some mental health policies or OHNS policies that having those conversations might need to, uh, we might need to consider before having those conversations and remember professional boundaries before acting. So what this is telling us is that we might first stop and make the time to ask our staff how they're going and then they tell us something that's either quite confronting or something to do with their mental health. It's really important to remember that it's not up to us to treat them. However, we can listen and communicate non-judgmentally and then perhaps uh, offer suggestions for them to seek support from a loved one or from a professional or can we help them to problem solve with a work-related issue? So I'm thinking of an example where I've worked with a staff member before who was really struggling with her mental health and was feeling particularly overwhelmed with classroom management in her room. So I was able to ask them quite probing questions around what was happening in the classroom and where she felt like she needed the support or strategies. And it was there that I could offer support in a work capacity. So we problem solve, right, you're really struggling with a particular student. Would you like me to come in and observe how they're going and potentially give you some pointers? Or is it around that we need to get it on top of some planning ahead of the lesson so that the student doesn't end up bouncing off the wall because they're disengaged? And from here, then I was able to support her in that capacity uh, alongside encouraging her to reach out to her mental health practitioner uh, and make sure that she's also debriefing at home with her partner, for instance, uh, of an afternoon when the behavior might have been particularly pointy and on that day. So there's just an example of how we can still support in a professional capacity without feeling like we have to be a mental health counselor. And this leans into the next step, which is to act. So there are many ways to act, and that includes acknowledging feelings and experiences of our staff, offering practical support within your professional boundaries, ask if there's anything that you can help with at work, encouraging their own self-care. So please make sure you go home tonight and decompress, jump in the bath, Um, or switch off from work this weekend, don't take your laptop home, for instance. And of course, promote seeking of professional support and encouraging staff to explore their options for seeking help. So it's always interesting to find out whether they have sought support before and how they found it. You'll often find that a number of staff will say, I did, but it 
you know, I accessed the AIP, but I didn't really find it helpful. Or um, I used my six designated or tried to use my six designated counseling sessions as part of our workplace wellbeing program, but I didn't get much out of it. You know, it's important for us to really reiterate that working with a mental health professional or therapist doesn't always land on the first go. I myself went through four psychologists until I found the one that I ended up working with for 12 years. Uh, who consistently supported me. Three of them before that I thought were hopeless and I'm so glad I didn't give up after the first one. And it's not because they were hopeless. It was because I didn't gel with them. I didn't resonate with their energy. I needed somebody quite bossy. (laughs) Um, uh, You can't be too soft with me. So it was really important for me to have somebody strong uh, who, who would really push to get more out of me from a psychological standpoint. So that's just an example there. And remember to follow up and follow through. Too often we might have this one conversation and offer support um, or say, oh, my door's always open, but do, do, do make sure that you're checking in. And if you've said that you will support at work in some way, which I hope that you do, you do actually follow through with that and and work out how you're going to practically make that happen. If it's getting into a classroom as a leader, of course, that can be interrupted a lot. Uh, so making sure that we really prioritize that that's scheduled in, make sure as much as possible that's not going to be interrupted. And that might uh, mean communicating with our fellow leaders about the importance of that time being preserved so we can be in a classroom supporting our staff member uh, to be able to reduce that stress, for instance. Step number five in creating a mentally healthy workplace is to respond to reduce the stress. So ask yourself, are there specific circumstances, situations or experiences that I as a leader or us as a leadership team could change that would reduce the influence of any or all of these stresses of staff. So we can't attend to every single staff stressor, but this is where a staff well-being survey is great because it tells you your top staff stresses and we think practically, okay, well, what are we going to do about this? It's not just enough again to, to find out what the stresses are. We have to think about, well, what initiatives are we going to put in place to be able to attend to these? How are we going to do it by when? And we need to really map that out. So the first step here is to develop leader capability in positive proactive leadership and consider what practices may need changing to meet the needs of staff. That might be our leadership approach or our unified approach to leadership. You know, are we too heavily leaning on the instructional and not enough on the transformational of the servant when our staff really need support? It's also important here to review your school scan or any survey results to consider ways to adjust leadership initiatives or school directions to ensure that we're responding to staff needs. We also need to offer emotional support to those who disclose personal information or who are at risk. And it's important for us to recognize and not be shy if to outline and highlight that we don't know how to do that if we don't or if we struggle to have those conversations because this is where something, God, I hope they sponsor me, um, mental health first aid training is really great if those conversations seem really daunting 
or foreign to us. Uh, Another point here, I'm actually going to raise it because it's come up a bit with a school that I'm working with lately, is particularly when schools, uh, we work in schools that have a lot of critical incidences with students, I'm thinking really challenging student behaviour, we might actually need to have specific training and upskilling in debriefing with our staff and having those conversations, particularly if there are lots of fights or physical incidences or breaches of safety happening quite often. So that's something where a mental health first aid course doesn't always cover. So um, yeah, that's something that just popped up into my mind then around debriefings, really key uh particularly with like a trauma informed practice school who's who's working with a lot of a lot of tier 3 children then it's important for us to consider how to develop a whole school wellbeing action plan to respond to these key areas that staff are reporting as top stresses in the workplace so that might be student behavior Um, and you know, how we're actually going to target that give our staff some hope and a plan for how we can strategically address it. We might also have to develop personalised wellbeing action plans for any staff member who've disclosed concerns about their mental health. I actually offer an online course which steps staff through this. You can check it out at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash wellbeing hyphen course. This is also something BU has lots of resources on their website for as well. You might also consider developing and implementing a return to work or stay at work plans tailored to specific staff need or or any staff requiring support to stay at work. So I'm thinking those staff who've taken time off due to their mental health or even a physical health condition uh, who or who are particularly struggling, um, sitting down with them and really mapping out how we can support them in the workplace to ensure that they feel comfortable and happy and safe to be at work. Another option, and this is I'm thinking for those of our staff who are really struggling with their mental health, things that I've done in the past, is to seek written permission from staff members to speak with their treating health professional about how the school can support their recovery. We can also request that they ask for documentation from their treating health professional as well that can be sent to us. Now, this isn't a demand. (laughs) This is if we've built that relationship with them. They've disclosed to us that they're working with a psychologist and they might even lean into talking about some of the strategies that they've mentioned. We could say, hey, do you reckon they could potentially put together some tips and recommendations for us for how we can support you and we can begin to build a bit of a partnership that way? So that's how I've worked uh, with staff in the past before. It's also really good in some instances to provide clarity on the staff member's role, responsibilities and any reasonable adjustments that can be made in the workplace to support their recovery. So whether that's the flexibility to be able to attend appointments, modifying their working hours and days to do so, um, things like nine-day fortnights can be really uh, great for some staff. So you know, every fortnight they know they've got a day off to attend their appointments and, and have a day to themselves. Uh, this, is, of course, is something that requires planning and might even require support from doctors or a psychologist, but it's a really good option as well. Other options, of course, are to seek support from any human resource specialists, occupational rehabilitation providers or employee assistant 
gifts programs that might be available. So I'm just thinking in the past where I've had a a staff member who was struggling to return to work, I've contacted uh, our people and performance branch and asked them, you know, how we can support them in terms of leave. They seem to be running out of leave and they're really stressed out. And they've explained to me uh, different ways through HR that they can support that staff member and what that staff member needs to do. And then we provide that information to the staff member to show them that we're supporting them. Remember too to keep in touch with employees during periods of leave, particularly for their mental health and health, and support them on their return. So just because they've taken the time off to look after themselves doesn't mean that it should be a radio silence. Make sure that as their leaders were actively checking in, This might include a return to work plan developed collaboratively and regular problem solving meetings between the staff member and their leader as well to ensure that 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 return to work is really seamless and smooth. Tip number seven for creating a mentally healthy workplace is to upskill our staff on ways to look after one another. So training staff in mental health awareness can really help them to recognize the signs that their colleagues might be struggling. So often staff actually turn to one another when they're feeling frustrated or stressed out by a situation at work. So upskilling them on ways to support each other can help to build a culture that promotes and encourages well-being. So I know from looking at my staff well-being surveys, yeah, that probably generally it's around three quarters of staff will say that they turn to a colleague when they feel stressed or worried or unhappy at work. So this is really important because we want to be equipped with the right skills. So we can do this through using multiple channels to regularly provide staff with information about mental health and wellbeing services and support networks, including those provided by external organisations such as Beyond Blue. We can build our staff's skills and confidence to approach somebody that they might be concerned about uh, and how to have those conversations. We can actively promote free resources to help our staff to have a conversation if they're worried about a colleague. You could make these available on your intranet or display posters or other materials around the workplace. Another good idea actually is to establish a peer support or mentoring program for staff or even pardon me, a buddy system Um, that's often recommended by staff when I'm in schools. They're really looking for buddies (laughs) across the school. Uh, Of course, to offer team building activities and that support group dynamics and productivity. So not always morning teas and after work drinks, but opportunities for, for staff to engage with one another and work together in really fun ways. And that could be in lieu, in lieu of a staff meeting. So during work times, once a term, just to show our staff that we really value their connections and a bit of morale boosting fun. And this whole approach too should be also on upskilling staff and ways to look after themselves. So it's attending to when they're experiencing a challenge, but also, of course, with positive psychology. It's about putting in place those positive interventions, things like the PERMA model, designed at bolstering our well-being and, and helping us to go from just feeling okay to feeling much better all the time. So a focus on building positive emotions, on engaging, on connecting with others in relationships, finding meaning in our life, 
recognizing our accomplishments and of course looking after our own health this this is all really important for us so that we're able to thrive and flourish in life and at work and finally step number seven in creating a mentally healthy workplace is to increase an awareness of your school's commitment to creating a mentally healthy workplace so we must clearly communicate our commitment and plans to create a mentally healthy workplace. And this is where we ensure that all staff are aware of the options that are available to them. Additionally, promoting this commitment externally can also help to attract potential new staff. So some possible ways to do this include sharing your staff or being action plan with staff and seeking their input and consultation. So as part of the well-led partnerships program, we spend a whole year building a tailored wellbeing action plan for a school that involves staff, leaders, teachers at all levels. And it's important to continue to promote your progress both internally and, as I said, externally, and seek that ongoing consultation. Is this still relevant? Do we need to add in other strategies? Are the strategies that we had not working and why? And, and we continue to focus on those specific benefits for our staff, also for the school but for the community at large. And also to remember to promote information to all staff on their specific roles and responsibility relating to mental health. So this might cover areas such as work health and safety, discrimination, privacy, and of course, taking care of their own mental health. If you have a wellbeing action team or wellbeing committee, making sure that those roles are really clearly articulated so staff know who they can go and speak to if they have an issue, not, not just with their own wellbeing, but with general staff wellbeing. And of course, all of this really helps to create and promote a discrimination-free workplace uh, where we have a zero discrimination policy for anybody suffering from a mental health condition. So there we go. Those are seven ways to help create a mentally healthy workplace where staff really do feel supported no matter how stressful the current circumstances might be. Because when stress remains unaddressed for a long period of time, it does eventually compound and that's where it starts to lead to burnout and exhaustion. So it's really important for leaders to be acutely aware that we're living in a time where staff and teacher stress is really at an all-time high in some schools and there are clear steps that we can take to support our people during challenging times so that they have those skills to be able to cope and manage or they know where to go to seek that support. The key to supporting staff mental health really does lie in creating a workplace that feels psychologically safe for staff to come to, even when they're stressed. And that doesn't mean that they're brushing it under the rug to come in. It's, and it's not about tokenistic approaches, but rather changing how we view, speak of, and address mental health at large. So by taking the seven measures that I've outlined today that even had little sub-measures within them, leaders really can begin to create a culture where staff health and well-being are embedded 
into their school's core values. It's not a separate, it's not an add-on, it is absolutely not lip service. It is a well-being approach that is woven into the fabric of your school. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Well-Led Schools. As always, you can access the show notes for this episode, complete with information and links wherever you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you haven't already. And if you're interested in learning about how to best support your staff's well-being and mental health in 2023 and beyond, I'm hosting another free and live training. They only come around once a term on May 11. That's on a Thursday on the 6th reached research back steps that you can take to support staff well-being and address teacher burnout at your school. And you'll learn more about what it takes to become a school that leads with well-being in mind. And you'll get to network with other school leaders from across the country as well. You can learn more about the live training and register at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash live hyphen training hyphen may or just jump onto my website and you'll see a tab at the top menu there thanks so much everyone thanks so much for listening to well-led schools i look forward to connecting with you at adriannehornby.com.au here you can get in contact with me learn more about my approach and join my mailing list i'm adrienne hornby Thanks again for your time and stay well.